and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Amen. Amen. Bless you as you give. So we've been in a, for a while now talking about the promises of God. How many of you are, we started with the covenants. We talked about the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of David. And for a few weeks now, how many enjoyed Pastor Tyler last week speaking about parenting? Oh, it was amazing. How many of you know, like that afternoon, all of our kids tried us. Just like every single one was like, well, you know, yeah, I'm not going to say. There's a, there's a phrase like, hold my beer. Anyways, whatever. But I want to talk today and I want to anchor us. I was thinking about the concept of anchoring us into something. When you anchor into something, what an anchor does is it provides stability. It holds you in place. So as we are talking about the promises of God and what's available to you, I want you to understand the why. Why do we, why do we want to talk about God's promises and what's available? Many times we come into church and we talk about the cost of following Jesus. And there is a cost. But a greater revelation of following Jesus is not what you give, it's what you gain. Hello? Are you alive? It's not all about, like, we give, we give, but it is a joy to give because we have come into a revelation of what we gain. Like, as we follow Jesus, like, have you thought about, have you thought about what is available to you as a son and a daughter? Think about this for a moment. It's like, just, do you, do you really know, like, as a son and a daughter of the king, which is what the Bible says, there is a whole lot that is available to you and that God wants to do through you. But there has to be partnership. Say partnership. There has to be partnership. There has to be a belief. When we were in pre-service prayer, um, there was a scripture that was released this morning, and it's, it's Hebrews eleven six. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Did you hear that? We must believe that he is, but not only that he is, but that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like that God wants, many times like, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to do it because God is God. No, it is, it is dumb to, to believe that as you follow him, you are not going to be blessed. It's not prosperity. It's just kingdom principle. It's like, man, the, the, the promise that I want to anchor us into today is in James. And there's, we're, we're going to read through James, but here's, the, here's what I want to start from the onset. The Bible says this, that as you draw nearer to God, he will draw nearer to you. I want, you to, I want you to think about this the whole day today. As I draw nearer to God, he will draw nearer to me. That's not a maybe, that's a promise. That as you draw nearer, I'm like, oh, I'm going to say it over and over because I want you to understand the enemy works really hard to create separation. For you to come into rooms like this and be in worship and feel like he is this distant, un, unavailable, busy, he's busy with everything else in the world, but I want you to know God is incredibly intentional and he is incredibly personal. He is interested in the details of your life. Not just the good details, the bad details, the ugly details, the ones that you don't tell anybody about. The, one that, the ones that like the enemy accuses you about during worship. Well, you can't sing that because of what you did. Those are the details that, that as I believe today, as we open our hearts to God, and as we allow him into those places, healing comes. Identity comes. Freedom comes. And what I want you to see today, and, I want, and just for a few, just the power of a vulnerable heart, of you allowing your heart to be open, and you like, we teach a lot of principles. We raise our kids up in the ways of God, and we teach them to do a lot of things, right? A lot of principles, disciplines. 
But disciplines without an open, vulnerable heart leads to information, but there can never be revelation. It's like I know about, that's what my wife was saying, I know about him, but I don't know him. One of my favorite basketball players is LeBron James. I know a lot about LeBron James, but I don't know him. doesn't matter how much I read about him, how many games I've watched for 18 years. I know about him, but I don't know him. It doesn't matter if I go to an arena and he's in the presence. He could be in an arena and I could be in the presence of LeBron, but I don't know him. So I just want to make this clear. You could be in the presence and he could be in a room. But until you open your heart, until you allow him in, there's a different level of relationship. Are you with me? So, so let's go to James. I just want to read through this and I want to start here. It talks about drawing close to God. And I'm actually going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read James and then we're going to move to Revelations. So, so James 1, it says this. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? So obviously, verse 1 tells us there's a conflict, right? There's a conflict that's going on, and, and, and he's addressing the conflict within the church, and he's saying, listen, the reason that you had this, this issue, like this one against the other, is because there's something at war within you. And he says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So what is he saying? Listen, the reason you don't have it is because you don't ask. And you will never ask someone that you don't believe will give. Like in order for you to ask, that's what the scripture said, we read it. In order for you to believe and come to him, you have to believe that he really will reward. That he will really give. So he's saying, you don't ask because you don't have. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only that which will give you pleasure. Then he says, you adulterers, which, which is an interesting term because it's not about them sleeping with someone out of wedlock. It's in the context of like, hey, you're married to me, yet you're giving your hearts to other things. Yeah, yeah. He used the term adultery in, in the context of Christians because he understood this isn't saying yes to a discipleship program. It's a marriage. It's like you are married and you've given your heart to other things. So he says, listen, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? That's not geo, that's Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Oh, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning when they say the spirit of God placed within us is filled with envy, jealousy, and he gives us even more grace to stand on such as, as against such evil desires? So the scriptures say this, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So, so listen to what he's saying. Listen, when you make yourself a friend of God, it means you cannot be a friend of the world. I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm not saying separate, exclude yourself, become Amish and go live on a hill. What I'm saying to you is, for a long time, Christianity has been about how much can we blend the two? Like how close can we get to the line before we cross it? Because, because we're disconnected from the world. And in order for us to reach them, we have to meet them. And what, what he's saying is, listen, I want you to see that there's a spirit inside of you that is jealous to have all of you. And if you give part of yourself to that, then you cannot be fully given to me. And it says you are an enemy. I, I don't like, like when I read that, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you. It makes me uncomfortable. But sometimes in this context, in this world, we're asked, I feel like we're asking the wrong questions. 
And like, I get around circles, like, well, well, how much can I give myself? Like, like can, I, can I drink and still go to heaven or hell? And can I do this? And it's like, it's the wrong question. Like, first of all, those are things you have to ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I can't tell you what to do with that space. But here's what I know. The closer we get to the line, some of you are like, that's religious. Oh, I hate that. Because we can't talk about real issues because you've been spiritually violated for so long. It's not about how close we can get to the line without seeing if we can cross the line. It's having a revelation of what's back here and saying, I don't want anything to do with that. There's beauty, there's majesty, there's power. And so as we draw nearer to God, he draws nearer to us. And the things of the world just don't appeal as much. They just, they just lose their value. It's like, oh, I don't want to give my heart to that. I've been down that road. So then he goes on and he says, humble yourselves before God. Hello. Like, come low. Come low. One of the things that was prayed for this morning is pride. Like, God, would you break down pride? Pride doesn't always look like I'm better than everybody. Sometimes pride looks like I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to hear that. I don't got to do it. I'm good. All right. Humble yourselves. Submit yourselves is another way to say that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's another promise. Humble yourselves. Come low under the leadership of Jesus and resist the devil. And he will flee. Come close to God. This is the NLT. Another one says, draw close to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalties are divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. What is he saying here? Let there be tears. Let there be grief. He's like, listen, be aware of what's happened to you. Like, be aware. Like, part of the issue while we have so much teeter-tottering in the church is you're not really aware of what God saved you from. You said yes in a moment. There was the right melody with the right, and it was like, oh, yes, but, but we're not always aware of the gravity of sin we were in. Like, I am, a, I am fully aware of the lowliness where I was when I was 18 years old. The brokenness, the hurt, the pain, which allows me to give my full yes to him because of what he brought me from. Let there be tears for what you have done. Then he says this, let there be sadness instead of laughter. Then he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourself, go, come low before the Lord and he will, it's not about staying low. It's not that like you're going to grovel and you're, oh, it's not like we're not going to live that way. We're sons. But in order for us to step in true kingdom identity, it doesn't start with standing. It starts with, it starts with sitting, coming low. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants, he wants us to bring, man, I'm, I'm all over the place in my notes. Help me, Lord. So, so I want to say this. I don't believe the enemy has a problem with you being here physically as long as your heart is distant. I really don't. I believe he's perfectly content with you going to church 52 times a year and being somewhere physically, but your heart be far. Hearing the messages, receiving information, but not allowing it to touch your heart. Feeling like I, I just can't go down that road, but, but I'm here. And I believe being here is a good starting point. It's not a good ending point. It's the beginning of the journey, but it's not, it's not the fullness of where God is trying to take you. Are you with me? So, so the, 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 
what's crazy, like where this road can lead if you receive information but don't get revelation is, is I believe found in Matthew 15 when Jesus is describing a people and he's saying, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What, what is Jesus saying? It's like, man, they know, they know all the right things. Like they're saying, like the sound sounds good. In our, in our modern day context, it's like when they start singing, who is like the Lord? You're like, no one, no one. You know the right time to shout, to jump, to shakababa. You know it all. And in the midst of all of that, what he's saying to these people who, the people he's speaking to here were some of the most educated, religious, religiously educated people. They knew the Bible. They knew, they knew it. He's saying, listen, your, your lips, they honor me like you're giving me good talk, but your heart's far. For their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. The, the Passion Translation says this, they teach empty traditions of man. Oh. It's like they're teaching things just because it's what they've been taught. Do you catch that? And I, what I want to protect us from is, is like I want God to be everything for us. I don't just want us to worship him with our mouth. As a spiritual family, I want our hearts and our heads to be connected in our pursuit of Jesus, understanding as we pursue him and as he becomes the center of our life, he will draw near to us. And when he, draw near, he draws near, everything changes. Everything changes. He rearranges, he reprioritizes. Everything changes when he draws near. So this tells me that the, the way that I come to Jesus matters. I don't believe it's, it's about the condition of the heart. I believe it's about the posture of the heart. Those are two different things. The Bible is clear that I can come to God in brokenness. So it's not about what condition my heart is in or what I've gone through or if I deserve it. It's not about deserving. But there is something about the posture of humility and about knowing that God is God and I am not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning blessed are those who understand they are dependent upon him. So, so I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to internalize my condition or what, or, uh, do I deserve to come? But I do need to be aware of how I come. Like how I'm approaching him. Like is the fear of the Lord, I know the F word of the church, is the fear of the Lord still on the inside of me? Where I'm like, man, it's a healthy thing. It, there's a healthy fear of the Lord where we approach him rightly. My, my, like even the world understands that if the president or if somebody of stature were in a room, you approach them a certain way. You don't just come at them any kind of way. So as, as we approach, I want you to think, the, the, the Lord has been dealing with me really powerfully in this, man. He's, he's been touching areas in my life of lovelessness and lukewarmness. And I know we don't want to talk about this in the church, right? Like we read Revelation 3 and we're like, yeah, that's for so-and-so. I'll pray that for them. Because you know, not me, like I can never be. I can never be. But I'm telling you, the Lord, for Gio, not for, not for you, for Gio, it's been painful, convicting, it's been intimate, it's been disruptive. When I go into prayer rooms and I'm like, God, give me vision for the church. He's like, I'm trying to touch that. Don't bypass, he's like, Gio, don't bypass the product. I want to deal with that. I want you to repent for that. I want you to go low in this situation and wash the feet of your offender. Hello. 
I believe we, we talk a lot about revival and, and, and all of these things, but until we understand the posture of heart, like we're praying prayers that God can't answer because we've been sucked into this Christianity that has nothing to do with following Jesus. It is centered around religiosity. It's centered around man-made traditions instead of following a person. Oh, it's quiet. Thank you, Cheryl. Somebody help me. It's centered around what feels good for us. And I'm saying, I want you to feel good, but there's nothing that feels better than knowing that you're heart-to-heart connected with your maker. There's nothing better than knowing that you're giving your life. This is my fear. Judah asked me, I don't know if it was yesterday. He said, Daddy, what are you afraid of? And I'm dad, so I'm like, I ain't afraid of nothing, bro. (laughs) What do you think this is? I'm afraid of nothing. But as I began to ponder, man, I began to think, you know, there's one thing I am afraid of, and that's, that would be me giving my life to things that the world counts as success, but God's like, I don't know. It's like structuring my life, even in the context of religion and things that we have said, this is success and standing before my maker, before, my, before our bridegroom and him saying, man, you did a lot for me, but I don't know you. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. You're like, man, that's unhealthy. I don't think so. I think that there's a healthy place where we can know that like God is pursuing that the spirit within me is jealous for him. And that there are certain things that I feel this inner tension. The James 4, there's a, there's a inward battle that's happening where it's like, man, I want to give my heart fully to him, but the world is trying to draw us near. So it's like, man, I need a bigger house and a better car and more of this and more of that. I think God wants us to have all of that, but he wants first place. So one of the key things God has been speaking to me, is this okay? Yeah. Okay. One of the key things he's been speaking to me is about the, the emphasis on vulnerability. Like reading, reading the Bible through the, through the context of Jesus is vulnerable. He was vulnerable with his disciples. Think about how vulnerable and how, how much accessibility Jesus had that at one point Jesus said he was going to do something and Peter said, you're not going to do it. This is This is Jesus. And, and Jesus turned and rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And if you, if you do the study on the word, it means Satan. It's not like, there's not like a, it means Satan. But what I've learned as I'm reading the scriptures through this context is there was something about Jesus that they understood. I can bring him anything. There's nothing off the table. There's like, it's like open heart all the way. And for years, we've talked about spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is the currency of the kingdom. How many of you have heard this? Spiritual hunger. And what I'm learning is God cares as much about vulnerability as, I, as he does my hunger. He cares. I'm talking about how we come to him. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. We can get there because that's important too. But in the context of how are you dealing with bringing the rawness, the realness, the brokenness of your heart to him in this season? So, so uh, as, as we think about this, like Matthew 15 people are born from this place. Matthew 15 people, their hearts are far from me. When we produce a space where we don't teach people the value of coming to God with everything that we are. You cannot draw near to God halfway. 
I can't say to you, hey man, on Sunday morning, half of me is going to be at the mall and half of me is going to be here. Either I'm going to fully be here or fully be there. So in your spirit, man, like as you're thinking about your life, like where have you anchored your spirit? Like when you think about drawing near to God, you equate it to, I'm coming on Sundays. But I want you to understand that you can be here on a Sunday, but not be here on a Sunday. You can be present for the whole hour of worship and listen to my sermon and walk out those two, two hours later, walk out and yet never be here. Yet never be present. Do you understand what I'm saying? And what God is saying to us is, I want us to, I want you to bring your full self. He's saying, I, I'm, I gave myself for you. Will you give yourself to me? So the Bible uses a variety of terms that speak of this truth of vulnerability. It says things like this, open the door of your heart. Set me as a seal upon your heart. It says this, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. All of these terms, the spirit of revelation. What is the spirit of revelation? Revelation, who is being revealed? Think about this. All of this ends, when you read your Bible, what book does it end with? Revelation, I hope you know that. It doesn't end with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's more than John. It ends with the book of Revelation, meaning all of this ends with a, and it's not a revelation of the end times. It is the revelation of a person. It's like, I want you to know things are coming, and you need to know this. But the greater revelation is the revelation of a person that carries you through the time. To anchor our hearts into that and to understand that, that like, we are held. This is why he's saying, draw near. Because if you don't draw near, when things come, and they are coming, boo-boo, like, listen, you got to wake up. 2020, at the end of Malachi, he says this, oh, that you would shut the door. Because, why? He's telling the people, shut the door of the temple because what you're offering me is not what I want. And what I realized in 2020 is, God went from asking to shut the door to shutting the door. We went 12 weeks here with the door shut, and I was like, crap, that's scary. He's wanting us to recalibrate ourselves and to just, just think about what we're bringing him. We know biblically it's not about how much or how little. It's are you bringing him? For some of you, you're offering, you know, the widow's might. It's less, but it was more because of what she brought. So what I'm saying to you here is like, listen, in, in the church of, of Laodicea, let's go to Revelations 3. Some of y'all are about to shut all the way off right here. Usually when we open to Revelations 3, people automatically glaze over. But I, but I want to say this to you. Jesus promises us something in, in John 14. Are you with me? Say John 14. In John 14, he promises us something, and he says something that's incredible. He, he speaks through the Bible about intimate disclosure, about connection. Then he tells his disciples, I'm going to be crucified in resurrection, but I'm going to disclose myself to you in an, in an intimate way. He says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make my home in your what? Heart. He's speaking about, like, my home will be in your heart. He's speaking about intimate connection. And then in Revelation 3, he is speaking to us. And he's speaking to a church. I actually want, I want to talk about Revelation 3, 14. 
but I, but I want to kind of change the narrative. How, how many of you have heard a sermon on Revelation 3? How many of you heard that like the pastor was angry the whole time? The whole time. And, and oftentimes when we talk about the church of Laodicea, it's all, most times in the context of God's going to spit you out. God's going to spit you out. God's going to spit you out. And that's the emphasis of the scripture. But, but I, I want to change the narrative for just a moment from God spitting you out to him knocking at the door of your heart. Think about this. As you read the scripture, think less about what you do and where you're at and more about God doing this. Because it changes the narrative of the story. It takes the pressure off of us because you can never do it. How many of you have come to that awareness? We can never do it. So, so the church of Laodicea was an interesting church because it was a poor town. And in a poor town, there's lots of transactions, lots of money, right? So it was a town that was wealthy. It was a wealthy town with lots of people, so much so that when I was studying the history of the town, there was, there was an earthquake that happened in the region where many towns just became kind of desolate. And many of the, of, the, of the cities of that time, they had to borrow money from Rome in order to rebuild their towns below to see it didn't. Like they, they had it so much going on, they're like, we got this. So just to give you context, this was a, this was a church, like this wasn't a, a, a letter written to unbelievers. This was a letter written to believers. And he is addressing them, and I want to read it. He says this. Uh, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning. He says this, verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. But like, I want you to see this. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. And I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you, buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. So the issue wasn't the gold. The issue was the gold had mixture. I want you to see this. It wasn't like, oh, no, no, don't touch gold. It's like, man, there was a mixture there. Give it to me. Let me purify it, and I'm going to give it back. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Then he says this, I correct those and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and I what? I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So Jesus is addressing a church and at the very end of the scripture, we see what was the issue. He said, you're poor, miserable, blind, wretched, naked. I'm not saying you're any of those things. I'm not putting like, listen to me, shame off of you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not saying this is the state. All I'm saying is, in this scripture, there were a people that were like, we got it. And Jesus says to them, I counsel you. This, NLT doesn't say it, but another, I think it's the new, the new King James says, I counsel you to buy gold purified from me. Now, I've learned something about counseling in this last season. As I've been sitting with a counselor, this is the first time I actually sat with a counselor. I've learned that sometimes the counselor will say hard things. 
Like when I don't pay the counselor to tell me what I want to hear. It's actually contrary. Most of the time when I'm sitting across from the counselor, she's saying things that I'm like, I, I might slap you. How, how dare you? But, I, but what I'm learning is I have to keep my heart in a place where I'm, I'm saying to Gio, she has your best in mind. Even though it's hard, even though it hurts, because sometimes the kindest thing is telling the truth. Think about the context of this scripture. Somebody walks in this room naked right now and they're butt naked and they're just walking around like they're clothed. Just stand like, hey. You're like, yo, you're naked. No, no, I'm not. Think about how crazy. A blind person walks in, you're like, yo, let me help you. He's like, I got it. I got it. But this was the state of the church. It's like there's a disconnection between where they are and Jesus is like, man, you may be comfortable on the, you may feel comfortable, but there's something that's disconnected. And what he's trying to help them see is there's a disconnection and I'm knocking at the door. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If Jesus is standing on the outside of the door trying to get in, then what's going on on the inside? Think about it. That means it's possible to have Christian activity and the right songs and even have a big budget with lots of people and buildings. Yet Jesus can be like this. Now Jesus has all the ability in the world to walk. We know biblically he could walk through a wall. He did it on the disciples. Yet for some reason in the narrative of Revelation 3, he's on the outside. Because I believe we're living in a time where Jesus isn't trying to break into places he wanted to be invited in. Yeah. Jesus can do whatever he wants, man. He can rearrange. We, look, we, see the, we see the kind of pressure that he applied in the story of Jonah. But I believe we're living in a time where he's like, will you choose me? I'll be gentle, long-suffering. What does it mean to open up your heart to the Lord? Let's have a think. What does it mean to open it? It's sharing with him our thoughts, our feelings, our pain, our fears, our disappointment, our questions, our joys, our desires, our affection. It's coming to him and saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. And not just bringing it to him, but waiting around long enough for him to come and to speak truth. Bible says they will know the truth and the truth shall what? It doesn't say they will hear the truth. Sometimes you can hear something, but it takes a while to know it. It's allowing yourself to come to him and opening up your heart and being clothed. Then in the, in the opposite means I withhold all of those things from him. I want to ask you this morning, man, are there, part of your, are there parts of your heart that are withheld from the Lord? Again, shame off you. I know you've been here for 20 years. Shame on you. Get it together. But again, I want you to think about Jesus. Think about the craziness. This, for me, the craziness of how many mistakes I've made how many times I've chosen to go my own way, how many times I've given myself to fear and unbelief and doubt, yet still, 
And many times we run from weakness. And we hide weakness. But there was something about Paul that understood. How many of you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about this thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I asked the Lord to, to remove it. It was an inconvenience. It made him feel weak. It made him feel like, God, God, please just take it away. I can't take it anymore. That's what I hear when I'm reading this. And then he says this, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he says this, this is how the Lord responded to him. Three times he says, my grace is all you need. Let's just say that. His grace is all I need. One more time. His grace is all I need. For my power works best in weakness. So he changes his perspective. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work with me. That's why I take place, I take pleasure in weaknesses and in the insults and hardships, all that's coming against me. For why, when I am weak, he is what? God, please come through. Be strong in this situation. Only through your weakness. It's not just when you're weak, it's inviting him into your weakness. Two different things. Like, we, it's not just, oh, I'm going to come and rescue. I believe it's in this time, it's like, God, I invite you into the situation. Yes. Yes. I submit myself, James, through, James 4, I submit, I humble myself, I've tried my way. I believe for most people in this room and in the American church, it's not that we have erected gods or idols. We have become the God and the idol. When all that we do is surrounded around, if we're comfortable, and if it's safe for us, we have become the God and the idol. I'm talking to Gio, not you. I've been so challenged in this last season, man. We lived in... You guys know this by now. We lived in Africa and Mexico, and those were really vulnerable times. And I have found that now in my life, my life is, is structured and positioned in such a way where I don't have many opportunities to really live in faith. I work at a church. I'm in this building. I'm not surrounded by many broken people. There was a season where we had to believe God financially. God, please come through. I got to family. You got to help me. But, but, but nowadays, you know, we've been blessed. And the fruit of that, if we're not careful, I'm not, I'm not condemning your blessedness. Do you hear me? I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. But what I'm saying is if we're not careful and we don't evaluate, we end up like a church that's like, I got it. And then the only time where we run to him is when God goes, man, they're really that far gone. I'm going to have to bring crisis because that's the only time they really come to me. I don't, bring, I don't believe God brings crisis, but I do believe he allows it. And what, like, I think what protects us from this is not trying harder. How many of you have tried? You're like, I'll just try harder. I'll wake up at 5 o'clock and I'll fast every other day. How'd that, how'd that work for you? <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> I know I've done it. Just, just be honest about it. The only thing that works is, is, is hearing this and opening the door. The people of this time would have understood the context. Jesus is master builder. Because the church of Laodicea 
they understood the concept of lukewarm water because they didn't have hot water or cold water. So actually in this time, they had built like a piping system and they had piped up from another, from another city called Heropolis, I believe. And they piped water in from this, from this city into the city. The only problem was by the time the water made the route, by the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. And it was like, oh, this sucks. So they would have understand the feeling behind lukewarmness. But also when he speaks about knocking, they would have understood that in these times when there was a marriage that was about to take place, part of the ceremony when they were going to be married was they would come to the door. The bridegroom would come with the father and they would come to the door and they would knock on the door of the bride. And if the bride, from what I understand from reading, if the bride opened up the door partially, it would indicate I'm not ready. Think about, like, think about how many of us we open up the door partially. They're like, well, well, but the door's open. I go to church, I give, I... But if, but if the bride opened up the door all the way, it signified I'm ready to be betrothed to you. And the process continued. <laughs> so, so, so think about this. The whole rebuke is not unto being a better Christian. I know you've heard that. Just, just to, the whole, the whole, Revelations 3, 15 through 20 is unto you being married to him. It's all unto, will you open the door of your heart all the way and will you let me in? Will, will you fully say yes? You know what's one of the worst things? I mean, y'all have seen it. Like when, when, when they're like at a baseball game and the guy gets down on one knee and he's about to propose and he's all excited and the girl's like, oh, it's like, oh my gosh, I watch every one of them. <laughs> because there's just something about that moment of vulnerability. But, but I want you to understand that the vulnerability starts with him. I'm not asking you to be vulnerable and then the Lord come. I, I'm wanting you to see that he's the one that's down on one knee. And he's like, man, will you choose me? I know the things you do. I know you. Even in the context of that, we always hear it in this tone. I know what you do. But, but, but when you begin to read through the eyes of a loving God, he's, I, I just hear he's like, I know you. I know you. Even in the context of hot and cold, it's not about being a sinner or being a saint. We know that the Bible says, I would that none would perish, meaning he, it's not a double negative, there's an equal to always a positive. It's not like, I wish you would just choose heaven or hell. It's like, man, just pick a lane and follow me. It's all about following him, but it starts with, and I know that this is uncomfortable. I've been in enough services, like, honestly, I am most comfortable in this tension because I feel like it's not talked about in the church enough. You're not saved unto a prayer and unto repeating words. It's not A, C plus B equals D. It's like, man, you are married. And my marriage looks different than your marriage. But you better figure out marriage. Because it's all unto that. Let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say to you. It's fun to make sure. So I will say this. Jesus' words... 
in the upper room discourse, which I've been studying for a long time now, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus is having one of the most vulnerable moments with his disciples. If you see it, you see John laying his head on his chest. You see them taking communion. You see him washing the feet of the disciples, even the feet of his betrayer. Do you remember this? It's one of the most vulnerable moments of Jesus' life. He's letting them know, I'm about to be crucified for you. You see him, and it's so much there. But, but when he starts the discourse, he looks at his disciples, and what does he say? John 14, when he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me also. I just want to echo that. Because some of us, like we're sitting in rooms like this and our hearts are troubled and we don't even know it. We're like, man, why can't I just worship that way? Or why can't I just, like, why do I feel like I'm being tossed and my life is in disarray? It's because you're giving yourself to everything except. Or maybe you've heard the knock, man, but it's like this, like, I don't know if I can open the door all the way. You know there's a difference. If I see somebody at my door that I know, I'm opening the door. I'm like, yo, mi casa, tu casa. But when it's somebody I don't know, I'm like, yo, who that? <laughs> it's different. Because I don't know the person on the other side of the door. And so it's really unto Jesus saying, will you, will you get to know me? And the only way is you got to open the door. Now, I'm not here to tell you what that's going to look like for you, man. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I wish I had. There are practical things you can do, like spend time with Jesus. Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible not to read the words on a page, but to meet the person that's on the page. We've been conditioned to like, hey, what's your Bible study plan? Are you on track? I would say better to say, Jesus, I want to find you on the page. I want to find you. I want to find you in Genesis and Exodus. I want to find you in Revelation. I want to find you. I want to see you. Because it changes your time with the Lord. We've been saying, well, pray for 30 minutes. I was conditioned. Start with Thanksgiving. And do it. And all, that could all be good. But sometimes it, the best thing is to say, Jesus, I'm here. It's so good to be here with you. I'm so thankful you're here. You see, that it's practical. But none of that matters until you open the door. And here's what I want to say. No pastor can open the door for you. Some of you walked in here today and somebody opened up that door and said, greetings, it's great to have you here at Abide, you know. That, that's not going to happen in your spiritual life. You've been living that way for 20 years, man. From the pastor saying, here you go, this is the way, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's always meant for you to open the door and give your full yes or your full no. So let's stand. I want to pray over you. I was praying last night, even this morning, about how I want to end, and I just, I just, like, I just kept feeling like this. I feel like the Lord is really intentional and lovingly, lovingly knocking on the doors of our hearts. And I just want to say, this isn't like a one-time knock. Many of you are like, man, I heard that knock, and I opened that door in 1986. You ain't talking to me. That, that train of thought leads to Revelations 3. 
Man, you're blind, you're naked. You don't even know it. You're the naked guy in the room. You've had the dream. You've had the dream. You know how awkward it is. It's like stop and let the Lord into that space and let him tender, tenderize your heart. Respond. Respond to his calling and open up the door. Amen? So I'm going to pray over you and then we're going to have prophetic company come up. I actually want Whitney to share um, some of what the Lord was doing in her this morning. But let's just close our eyes. I just want to pray over you. Father, we just come to you this morning and we just say, we don't want to hide from you anymore. We don't want to hide. We don't want to be distant. So, so Lord, will you come into our hearts with tender love and beauty? Jesus, we need you. We need you. I open to you right now without protection, defense, or boundaries. I open to you right now without defense, protection, or boundaries. No walls. Father, I pray for every person in this room that they would respond as they feel your tender love and beauty, as they hear the knock, that they would remain tender and responsive. No matter what we're going through, Jesus, we say yes to your knock. Again and again and again. Again and again and again. I want to hear you knocking every morning, every night, Every noon, I want to feel you knocking. So, Father, as, as we have this time of ministry, I pray that we would be vulnerable and open as a spiritual family and that you would minister to hearts. I'm going to invite Tiffany and Whitney. Wendy, do you want to come share? I purposefully left a little bit of time here for us to respond to the Lord. So I just want to have her share, and we're just going to follow the Lord. There's no pressure here. I want you to hear me as a senior.